Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8th, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Hi, everyone. We're starting, by the way, just so you know. That was the beginning. I thought that's just how you said hello to me. Hello, everyone, <laughs> to the three people yeah. in this room that aren't me. I mean, I assume there's three. Someone could be hiding. Right. Uh, I am talking today with Zoe Lister-Jones, uh, who I think is best known uh, for being uh, the the wife character on Delocated. <laughs> John Glazer's girlfriend. Uh, John Glazer's girlfriend. Oh, was it, it, was it not wife or was no, it just girlfriend? No, I wasn't wifeyed. Oh, wow. No, no, no. Um, and then eventually I was killed. Class, yes. Classically. Famously. You have to. You have to. Yeah. It, it, if you don't know, uh, the show uh, Delocated was Adult Swim, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it stars the amazingly funny John Glazer, who was a Conan writer for many years. Again, it, I mean, he peaked early. Um <laughs> But he's done such funny stuff. And and that was the first time I'd ever seen you. And I at that point, too, because I think I knew everyone else in that show. Yeah, totally. That I was like, who is this woman? How did she How sneak did she, in? Yeah, women have no place in comedy. <laughs> no, they do not. Uh, yeah, especially alt comedy. Mm-mm, no. Um, that was yeah. I was I was uh, quite a young thing on that show. Oh, really? How, Just how getting my start? How young? How young were you? Then? Um, uh, I feel like I was like. 24 oh wow or something like it yeah it was it was one of my first real gigs yeah yeah which was exciting and uh and was it like because <laughs> it was such a weird show oh so weird were you i mean was that formative for you like were you like it's all gonna be this weird because <laughs> you know it's not it's like it's which i mean no. to, for me to have that be one of my first jobs i would be so spoiled because i would just be like it's all weird and then you get and it's like oh no a lot of it's kind of not weird at yeah, all. Yeah, hot trash. You know? Hot, yeah. boring trash. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was totally spoiled by it. It was the most fun. And yeah. John is one of the funniest people ever. Um, and it, yeah, it was. It was every cool, funny person on that show. Yeah. And it was like early adult swim. Yes. Um, so there was also like, John was given so much room to just make the Nobody weirdest thing possible. knew what the hell possible. was happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay, sure. Uh, well, you're and you are a New Yorker. You're you were born and raised in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like there's something that, like when you meet other New Yorkers, is there like a kinship? Like, is there something that you all share? Do you think that's it's just um, like sort par- of, paranoia and suspicion? Is it really? Yeah. Well, I feel like anyone who says they're from New York is immediately sus be- for, to a New Yorker, right? Because you're like, are you from Westchester? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of right. You know, we've got. Yeah. 
Um, so, so that, and then there's questions. And then once you find out someone's actually from a borough, right. then I think there is an immediate there's more kinship. But is there yeah. like a hierarchical sort of, like if you find out someone's from the Upper East Side and you're For from sure. Brooklyn, are you like, oh, well, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a hi- hierarchy to the boroughs for sure. Although now they're, they're all sort of equally yes. expensive. And, right, exactly. Um, and impossible to, to live in. Um, but yeah, I do, I do take a great amount of pride in being a native New Yorker. Yeah. Um, and I swore to myself I would never live in L.A., and then I got here and I was like, <laughs> this place rocks. <laughs> Life was, doesn't have to be hard all the time. Was that a, um, were you here to stay here for any amount of time or was it just upon your first visit you felt that way? You know, I went to um, NYU to acting school and. Um, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trained. Uh-huh. Um, and, <laughs> they say uh, that and, about dogs <laughs> too. You know. I'm trained. I do sleep in a cage, and I'm in massive debt. Yes. Um, and I, if you put down a pad, I'll pee on it. <laughs> um, yeah, and and uh, and I I was told by like a guest teacher to never go to LA, like never move to LA unless you had a job. Oh. And I took it very seriously. So I had moved here when I got Whitney Cummings had a sitcom on NBC, and I and I got right, that right. gig. Yeah, and yeah. so I moved here for that. Yeah, and then. Never left. Oh, really? Yeah. And did you and did you maintain your place in New York and then had to get rid of it? I got or? I got rid of it. Yeah, yeah. And then I and then I bought a place here, and then I would just I still I go back to New York and I'm like a weird LA evangelist that nobody <laughs> wants to hang out with because I'm like you guys. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. gotta see what's going on over there. It does. It does seem. I mean, because I was on the other side of it in New York and would hear people sort of badmouth LA. And I mean, it's like, it's also, it's like kind of like, it's like picking on a beautiful, dumb person. Mm. Like, you know, it's like, neither one of those (laughs) things are their fault. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, of course this place is phony. Of course. And of course, you know, there's kind of a, hollowness an, an edge uh, yeah. an edge that you lose because the weather's nice that's right and because you can you know i mean not so much anymore but like the when i first came out here you could be broke and have a nice existence because the weather's nice that's right you know and you you could get a like a little shitty house somewhere that had a Space. backyard yeah. and get a dog and you know have a really kind of decent life totally i one time i did uh, i did a movie in in new zealand in, was it uh, Lord of the Rings? No. It was, I, oh, my God, I wish. <laughs> Not that shitty Hobbit. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, yes. Um, no, I. It, uh, it was called uh, Aliens in the Attic. It was a kid's movie about aliens that attack. And um, I believe deeply in aliens. Y- yeah. Well, this these and were just yeah. little CGI puppets. Oh, they weren't uh, real aliens? Yeah, they weren't real. Mm-hmm. And I don't, as far as I, I know. I believe in casting as far as I know. authentic aliens. <laughs> yeah. Winners, when's <laughs> representation their representation does matter. Yeah. Um, No, but when I was in New Zealand, one of our drivers was this young woman from Australia. And I would always hear about this sort of rivalry between New Zealand and Australia. And I asked her, I said, you know, what about this rivalry? And she said, I think Australians are largely unaware of it. And I was like, that's good, Andy. That's kind of, thank you. Yeah. I was like, uh, I was like, that's kind of the way yeah. LA is. Like LA is largely unaware of yeah. 
like nobody shits on New York because it's no, like, you know. You wouldn't dare. Yeah. And it just seems defensive and weird in this kind of, uh, at this remove. Yeah. Yeah. Although now I feel like there's like a lot of artists from New York moving to L.A. because it's a more like manageable existence. Yeah. And there's like a burgeoning art scene. Listen to me. I immediately go into evangelizing. Like, I'm like, you know, LA isn't, and uh, have you been to Erwan? Um, <laughs> Do you like money? Because you better have it if you're going to go to Because you can burn it at a health food store yeah, yeah. in five minutes. Uh, wait, when did you move here? I moved here in, uh, well, I mean, I had lived here in like, you know, I was doing a show here and I lived here for like, I think like nine or 10 months. And then I came back for close to a year. And then I went to New York to do the Conan show. So it was kind of back and forth. But I lived in New York long enough that I felt like New York New had Yorker. become my home. Yeah. And it when I, after I moved here, when I would go to New York, there was this feeling of like, ah, I'm back home. But after a while, that dwindled. And also, yeah. and also New York changed too. It got so crowded. I mean, and I sound like a, cra <laughs> a crabby old man. I mean, it's crowded, but I mean, like I know what you mean, Andy. In Chelsea, yeah. like on the like between it's, it's 9th different. and 10th avenues, you you could probably lay down on the sidewalk yeah. and nobody'd step over you for three yeah. hours. And now it's like, you know, there's hat boutiques and stuff like that. You know, it's fucking hats. I know, fucking They're hats everywhere. are everywhere. And I I have a large head. I can't wear them, so uh, I feel triggered. Particularly triggered in New York. Yes. Yeah. By all the hat wearing. Hat stuff. Yeah. yeah. The well, chapeauism. <laughs> <laughs> it is really, I do find that, like, if I go to see the theater, yes. um, walking through, like, Times Square or the theater district is, like, it does feel crazier it's than it's ever more, been. There's just a lot more people because it's safer and nicer. You yeah. Know? They they did sanitize, like especially Times Square, it is sanitized. So yeah, there's more people there. I'm not saying I want porno theaters back. And well, you can tell I'm old because I could said be taken porno. out of context and we could just say <laughs> that Andy just said, I want porno theaters I want, back. I, yeah, I long for <laughs> I, the I do miss the, the smut and grit of New York City a bit. You do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up there in the 80s um, and it was, it, it was cool. <laughs> it was scarier, <laughs> but it was cool. Right. And you were, you grew up in Brooklyn mm -hmm. and your parents are kind of artsy fartsy, right? They are. are. They? They're yeah. fartsy artists. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of gas issues, but they <laughs> do make art. Um, and uh, yeah, my my mom's a video artist, and my dad is a conceptual photographer. Okay. Um, <laughs> no follow up questions. Um, and uh, no, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'll wait till you're gone, and then we'll make big fun of them. Um, yeah. So I was raised in like the in the art world in New York, which I, I think sort of made me not want to be an artist. Yeah. For a really? While. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because yeah. it was, I it was just such a grind, and it was like nasty and competitive, just like all of these right. other art, arty, farty industries. And it was it like, did your parents struggle to make a living? Too? Yeah, they yeah. were broke, and and they never made a living off their art, so they always had other jobs, and oh, so wow. like their art was kind of compromised. And I saw how painful that was. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to be an artist. I sh I want to do something where I can make a living. Yeah. Um, but then look at look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you I'm now. shopping in health food stores. <laughs> Living in LA. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, my son, my son's 22 and he is a very talented artist and we uh, got him 
teachers and, you know, camps and all this kind of stuff. And at a certain, like he was probably 14 when he, cause he saw all these really talented artists that were teaching him mm. and saw that they were teaching him rather than going and doing art. Yeah. And some of them would kind of share a little bit about, and my son at an early age was like, oh, I do not want to do studio art. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. How kids pick up on that. Yeah. And he just was, and I mean, not that he wants an MBA or anything, right. but he's like, yeah, I know I'll draw and I'll do art. And he said, but I just, I don't want to be in that studio art world. And when it came time to go to college, he didn't, you know, we would go visit colleges and they'd say, Look, if you want to get a, your uh, BFA, you better get ready to be painting all the time. Oh, God. Would you just say that to an a 18, 17, 18-year-old kid? He's like, I don't want to paint all the time. It's like, know? I do appreciate the candor, but I, I think it's also fucked up to be, like, so fear-mongering to art students. I found that in acting school. Like, yeah, a lot yeah. of my acting teachers were like, you're never going to make it, kid. You know? And it's like— right. It's hard enough. Let right. us at least in, in school have the dream. Well, and then you get a little bit removed from it and you realize who your teachers are. Yeah. Why, why many, not all of them, but why many of them are teaching and how that's a prejudice that is bleeding through. Totally. Because, and I'm, because I went to film school and it was kind of the same thing. Where'd you go? I went to Columbia College in Chicago. And they were, you know, and you were taught by film professionals, which right. going into it, like, okay, that's cool. And then when you're doing it, you're like... Yeah, I am being taught by film professionals. And then, you you know, like you get an internship and you kind of get out and you're like, sort of film yeah, professionals. those are some bobos. Yeah, like there's, <laughs> they're like, you know, like one of them held a boom mic for the Males Brothers, Males' Brothers, you know, 20 years before. And that's like, okay, all right, great. You were part of it, you know. Um, you do need to go somewhere to learn to do this stuff, uh, you know. And, that's, yeah. I, and I wanted to ask you, because you went to like the Royal... Academy of I, I Dramatic did. Whatever Arts, yeah, yeah, Raja. And how well, now? What's that? Because you went to NYU. Did you go directly to? It's not as impressive when I really tell the story. It's, well, that's it was... what we're here for. <laughs> um, it was like a. It was an NYU exchange program. So oh, okay. it was like it was abroad, but NYU had a um, partnership with I with see. Rada in London. So I went for a semester, my senior year at NYU. But it was quite competitive to get into and it was right. all yeah Shakespeare like sort of classical training right. in London and I'm super grateful like I, I I have totally applied that technique to sitcom acting I'm really <laughs> yeah it was really important yeah. um <laughs> it was it was either Macbeth or Whitney one or the other similar figures yes, in, in yes. some ways yeah um <laughs> But no, it was cool, and I and it was such a cool time to be living in London. Yeah, um, that really I was um, part. What of this year partying. was it? What year was it? <laughs> it was two thousand three. Oh right, okay. So it was like height of great music yeah. and and cool clubs. Yeah, and yeah. Also before London, and they just changed. drink over there. They just sure do all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like Wisconsin times two. <laughs> Um, well, now you, you say you apply those techniques because I, uh, I have been paid to act. So therefore technically I am an actor. We acted on a show together. Which one? Didn't we? Oh yeah. Life in Pieces. On Life in Pieces. Yeah. But we weren't in the same deal, were no, we? No. I think we were on the same set. We didn't have. I saw you there that yeah, we, day. Oh, yeah, we yeah. saw each other. Right, right, yeah. right. And I will always remember that uh, shoot because it was the day Barack Obama was elected. Oh my God! Was that was one of the days that I worked, 
And that's so crazy. That's a long time it ago. It sure was. Yeah. And um, Adam Baldwin was, who is a big right winger, was on the show. And I just got to drag him in the makeup trailer the next Wait, day. That's amazing. I was just like, oh, so good job there, buddy. <laughs> Enjoy the next few years. Although I will in that episode. Uh, oh, no, that was. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm getting it all confused. I'm getting it all confused. Never mind. It was the I'm talking about the wrong show. Right, because I was like, who's that? No, I'm thinking of the show. Oh, what the name of what was the name? It was like a goofy spy show starring the guy that's Shazam, I think. Oh, Chuck. Chuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and was paid, right off the dome. You really you're right you're enough. a Chuck yeah, yeah, Stan, yeah. huh? Chuck! <laughs> <laughs> he does that all the time in line at Starbucks. Somebody's like, did you see Chuck? <laughs> Um, no, it was Chuck that I'm thinking of. And Adam Baldwin played an agent on that. And I was an agent. And I don't know why I thought, uh, why I come, because I'm, I'm old. And well, what's interesting guest is that overlap. I'm old enough that, um, I just believed you. And uh, I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I That's think I right. was. Because I don't think I was on that show when Barack Obama was elected. No, you but weren't. I absolutely like, was like here for it. I was like, really all I guess wrong. I was. This is, okay, now we have to leave it in. <laughs> um, no, that is embarrassing. No, because Life, that, in, Life in yeah. Pieces was maybe 10 years ago. And, and uh, Again, you know, yeah, you this old know. thing, right, it's right, gone, right. it's completely gone. But um, no, I, I think it. we ended it like four years ago oh, and we were okay. on for four years. So okay. yeah, like eight years ago we started. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were there when Trump Trump was elected on that oh, show. Oh, right, right. And oh, that's that's why I'm getting it confused because I, it was, oh my God, it was still an election night and it was the one that Hillary Clinton lost. Yes. Yes. And I was there that I was there the day before and the day after. Nightmare. No, that day was so intense because we all came in. We all left the night before as so many of us. Thinking we're going to get our first woman president. Yeah, we were so excited. We all went to parties to celebrate Hillary. Yeah. And then, yeah, came into the makeup. The makeup trailer is a particularly bleak place to, like, realize that you're entering a fascist dictatorship. (laughs) Well, it, yeah, because the makeup trailer is, uh, pro- it's like the most volatile place on a set. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and because it, it can goes be down absolutely and, yeah. wonderful and like it can be, be a place of refuge and comfort and, and reassurance. And then it can also be an absolute cuckoo bird factory. Oh, yeah. And I, and I don't just mean the actors. I mean like. Half of the people working in that makeup trailer yeah. are nuts, too. Yeah, because it's a gossip hive. Yeah, yeah. And it's where people, it's also a therapy session. Yes. And it's where a lot of, yeah, you're shit sitting, comes yeah, out. Yeah, you sit there for a long hours, time. Hours, hours. Yeah. I've always Early dreamed mornings. of, um, yeah, because like those mornings, being on that show for four years, it was mostly like 4.30 a.m. Uh, wake up, wake up times course, for, sure. me, for a baby. Yeah. And, um, and, and I always fantasized about sort of being in like a Hannibal Lecter, like sleeping in a sort of Hannibal Lecter, like a cot that then could just be lifted right. and then wheeled. Right, right. And I would stay asleep, all of the hair and makeup would be done, and then they'd wheel me to set. And then on action, I would be. Yeah. They'd unstrap yeah, the Velcro. Really. And you'd be, <laughs> you'd go right for someone's face. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, That's yeah. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, it's, well, it's just so much worse. Like they don't, really care that much how men look but i mean right. you know i mean i remember 
<laughs> uh, before we started shooting Andy Richter Controls the Universe, the two female regular actors in it um, sat in the hair and makeup trailer all day, having their hair made into different styles, a Polaroid taken of it, and then it it like Ugh. scuttled up to executives. So they could all, and it felt so, and of course it was all male executives. Yeah. It felt so f like, like, you know, wiki feet. It felt like, like all these guys are like, yeah, yeah, that's what I like. Yeah. Helga braid. Give me another Helga braid. Put a Helga braid on both of them. You know, just, it was so weird. And I kept coming in and out and, and I was like, you guys are still here. And they're like, yep. It's so fucked. Yep. Now I'm doing an updo, you know? <laughs> I was once on a movie where um, the studio said that I could only wear open-toed shoes. Talk about wiki feet. Wow. Yeah. Open-toed heels. Do you, do you have particularly nice toes? Well, you know, I, I, I fucking do, yeah. <laughs> but um, but I didn't know the studio was aware right, exactly. of that. Um, no, Your it agent was just like probably <laughs> told them. By the way, yeah. check out the feet. <laughs> you like shrimp? You will love these. <laughs> but but it was like those like arbitrary obsessions with women's appearance is so fucked. A director I worked with once uh, said he sat behind a studio head during a, uh, you know, the studio casting when it's like down mm. to the, it's for people, it's like, the casting process, you get down to the finals and you're in front of the studio or the network or whatever. And there's you're down to the four people and you come in and you perform in front of all of them. And then they all go, thank you. And then you go sit outside and they send three people home and one person gets to a it's wheelbarrow brutal. full of money. It's yeah. like real life survivor. This director I know who was a prince and, and is a prince and a sweetheart watched a studio head watch an actress and then the little notes he was jotting down, you know, like where he jot down, you know, blonde, red hair or whatever, you know, you know, red shirt. He wrote, I wouldn't fuck her. No. That was his note to himself to remember Ugh. on this actress's performance. It's a great business, kid. Rush oh, out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Rush yeah, out yeah. here as quick Jesus as you can Christ. and get in on this. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, host of the podcast, This Is Love. Stories about love and all of the surprising forms it can take. Like a man who finds a baby on a subway platform. A woman who spends most of her time alone until a fox starts coming around. And in one of my favorite episodes, we meet a man who forgot his wife and had to get to know her and fall in love all over again. Listen to new episodes of This Is Love wherever you get your podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? Well, I forgot. I got off track because I was going to say, explain what this, what, when you say you brought these techniques of Rada mm. to the rest of your work, I mean, what are they teaching you? Because, I mean, I took a couple of acting classes in college, but I don't, I still just ended up 
when I get a job and like if I'm supposed to be sad, I go, well, you know, how you be sad, you know, that yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I went so before Rada, I went to David Mamet's acting school mm-hmm. um, in his garage, in his garage, <laughs> in Winnetka. Uh, <laughs> and um, and they were very much like about strong distinction between the actor and the the character. Mm. So there are like some acting schools where you sort of become your character. You you like Daniel Day-Lewis it. Right. And then there are others that are like, you are not your character. And that was very much my training at yeah. NYU, which was a little like too heady for me. And also they were very much like, you had to break down every scene and figure out your motivation. And then we would have, and we all took it so seriously. Yeah. And then we would have like, guest um classes with like working actors come and everyone would be like what's your technique how do you like break down a scene and they'd be like uh no i don't yeah no i don't yeah yeah, <laughs> i yeah. just uh, show up and right. <laughs> say the lines yeah. and hit my mark and um go home right. so that was uh sort of devastating but also liberating but at rada it was a lot about um sort of finding meaning in the language and un- and unpacking text which i do think uh, is really helpful, especially yes. when you're auditioning as an actor. You sort of have to be your own director and have to find clues in the text. And if you're in some, like, if you're auditioning for something big time, you don't even get a script sometimes. So you have to just figure out in the scene oh, wow. who you're. I I am um, in Ari Aster's new film. You know, he he directed mm-hmm. like uh, Midsummer and Hereditary is a genius. And I didn't get. I wasn't able to read the whole script. So my audition was just based off of like the weirdest scene of all time. But those techniques did come in handy because then I was sort of like looking for clues in the text and figuring out how to play. Do you worry that you might be wrong? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because if you could read a scene and think like this person's nuts and then you find out like, no, no, this person is actually the most sane person in the whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you got to make a choice. Yeah. So if you play it nuts... Then, yeah, that's true. I guess they can always come back and be like, you did play nuts well. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But <laughs> play this person. They have not, uh, not, not nuts. And yeah. You're like, that's just my personality. Yeah. Well, that auditioning is always, you You make a choice and then it's like, you might whiff it. You know, it's like, oops. <laughs> you I most get, of the time, well. Yeah, I made a choice to be this kind of thing, you know, to do it this way. And I don't think, you know, that's, it's such a weird process. Because anyway, half the time I think they make up their mind when you put your face in the door. For sure. For sure. I had a friend who, when I was like just starting as an actor, was like, you know what? I just, I like to bring a a prop to an audition. And she was like, like a killer prop to bring regardless of the audition is a a nasal inhaler. Oh, wow. She was using it to sort of punctuate comedy. (laughs) But that is a fucking choice. But she booked. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a friend who, uh, I, I mean, she's still my friend, uh, and her technique was uh, to audition uh, in the afterglow of a bathroom stall orgasm. I've heard about this. Yeah, I've heard. Basically, about she jerked off before every <laughs> uh, before every audition, and she, you know, who she is. <laughs> She's very successful, you know? (laughs) That's the powers of O. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I've heard about, like, almost coming. Oh, really? So that you're you're just, like, edging your way into the audition, (laughs) and then the audition is really the... Right, right. And when they see you've got the part, oh! (laughs) 
<laughs> You're hurting my arm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was I um, ran into someone recently who like I'm, I'm now a huge fan of and um, Paul McCartney. Well, we won't name names, but <laughs> um, and no. And she was like, we actually I like introduced myself. I was like, I'm such a big fan. She was like, we actually were we've met before. We were auditioning in the same room and you came into the bathroom after I had taken a huge shit. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed. <laughs> And, and actually, when she mentioned that, I was like, I know exactly who you are. Yeah. Really? From that time. Like, right, I knew right, who she right, was right. now, but I was like, I remember walking into that right, stink right. hole. Oh. And, God uh, bless her. That, I love that she told you that. Rather <laughs> than just too. like, you know. It was amazing. You know. Because yeah. I imagine J-Lo's dumps are incredible. <laughs> they just smell incredible. like perfume. Yeah. yeah. They got, you know, like, like yeah, if like cumin was a perfume, <laughs> kind of. Uh, <laughs> well, when growing up in Brooklyn, uh, you are a self-described weirdo. Oh, Thank yeah. Thank God. Cool. Uh, that's for, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't remember that. I described myself. Yeah, that yeah. Way. It's in. It's even in quotes. Described herself <laughs> as a weirdo when she was eighteen. Mm. Mm. She loved ska music. That's mm, not so weird. More sad. And uh, shaved her head. Shaved her head the yeah. seventh grade. What yeah, was yeah. that about? Well, I don't. You know, I think I was like. I don't think I realized. I think I was doing it actually to make myself invisible mm. to men. I think in retrospect. At the time, right. I was just like, this is cool. And I was like buying a lot of, you know, vintage clothes and wearing like polyester suits. Right. And I, I had like those little wisp bangs. Sure. It was a pretty intense look. Yeah. And I, as as um, you mentioned from the internet, I did love ska music. But I'd like to just clarify, not like real big fish ska or like no, Mighty Mighty Boston. I'm mean. talking special ska. selector. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know. I, would, um, I wouldn't have it in Thank you way. so much, yeah, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, think, I think in some ways that probably was it because it was like right as I was like going through puberty. Yeah. But it then brought me so much more attention. I, I but bad. I mean, bad attention. Like I was of just, course. I was just made fun of, right. and, and uh. bullied in school. And um, I have noticed that from having a daughter and you know having kids, that little girls are you know like, you know all different you know, but like they could be sort of like crazy weirdo all over the place, and then puberty hits, and it's like stop looking <laughs> at me, everyone stop, and then that's when the baggy you know totally like both of my children could wear my clothes three of them really? could wear my clothes and both of them when they hit puberty started being like i'd be like where's my sweater and oh she wore it to school you know <laughs> that's like, amazing really? she could you know wear it over her backpack but you know <laughs> yeah it is it's 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 such an intense time i think yeah. because yeah you you just get to be hanging out like a regular person yeah. and then suddenly when you're not at all prepared for it, you're an object of like lust. Absolutely. Uh, uh, uninvited lust. And you're yes. like, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. I didn't ask for this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I was, yeah, I was really, I dressed in like sort of like leisure suits and <laughs> I was really going, <laughs> um, going for it. But it made like the older kids like me because I, they thought I was cool. So then oh, I, I had good. a lot of older friends. Yeah. Um, who would do, yeah, who, who. Do you think you were kind of more mature than kids your age anyway? Yeah, because I was yeah. an only child. Right. So I was hanging out with adults All almost exclusively. Right. Um, and I liked adults. Like I would choose to, at Bar and Bot Mitzvahs, I was like, oh God, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Like I got to get back to the art galleries with my parents. Um, 
But I do think I was. Yeah. It's a weird... Also, Brooklyn, like, you would think Brooklyn would be a haven for weirdos, but yeah. it's just as mean. <laughs> well, I, I also saw, too, that you were, like, you were part of a conservative synagogue and mm. that you were kind of... Your mom... Wasn't your mom kind of... My mom was of, the president uh, of the yeah. synagogue. But it was conservative egalitarian, so... Ooh, mm-hmm. what does that mean? <laughs> so it means that, like... We had a woman rabbi, and oh. we had a woman cantor. So conservative, but not yeah. So like yeah, yeah. in Judaism, it's like there's um, there are different sects of uh, there's like Orthodox, which is like super yeah. evangelical uh, intensity. Then there's conservative, which is like s- more Hebrew forward, mm-hmm. and then Reform is like a lot more English. Yeah. Um, and so that we were like a. <laughs> A Hebrew forward synagogue, but uh, groovy. Oh, I see. You know, so we had. So shaving your head is not. Because for me, strict religion means strict everything. No, this was a very cool. Yeah, like all of our God language was gender neutral. So we would like say instead of he or Lord or king ruler or just use God. Uh, oh, wow. So I was raised like with a real um, hyper focus on on that kind of stuff. My mom is, is an amazing woman and feminist. And so it was cool. It was a really cool way. Like I, I love Judaism, I think because of it, because yeah. I didn't have that punitive aspect, punitive aspect yeah. or or an aspect that was hateful right. or um or was promoting hateful rhetoric or exclusive practices and it was a very like queer community in my synagogue I grew up in Park Slope which mm-hmm. yeah it was it was really cool and we and my mom was was yeah president of the synagogue I had a shaved head at my bat mitzvah oh wow wow <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah it was yeah, a, it was yeah. a real it was a time did, uh, are you still, like, do you think of yourself as a religious person? I very much identify as a Jew. Yeah. But I, and yes, I guess I do. Because yeah. I, I don't have, like, the knee-jerk reaction to the idea of religion that a lot of my friends and contemporaries yeah. do. I think because of my upbringing, I, I understand, like, the, um, the negative impacts that religious institutions have. Sure. But I guess I... Like, oh, God, this is going to make me sound really L.A. I consider myself a spiritual person. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, we know. more than religious. And I'd like to lead everybody yeah. in um, just a, a quiet prayer. She's been uh, smoking a big sage <laughs> stogie the entire time. Uh, yeah, but I guess I do. And, and, and going, like, to synagogue still, like, with my mom, and there's a cool synagogue here that has this amazing woman rabbi named um, Sharon Browse, who was Obama's rabbi. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Famously. Gotta have one. Uh, gotta have, every, every president's gotta have a rabbi. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, there are really cool Jewish communities that I'm like proud to be a part of. Do you believe in God? I do. You do? Yeah. Do you? Uh, no, hmm. I don't. I don't. Okay, I think. Well, I have to go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, this easy. I don't feel comfortable here. Uh, no, I don't. I, uh, I read some, you know, I remember reading a, a, a definition of agnosticism. Mm. Which is just that, I mean, it's basic, It's sort of like all of those kinds of questions are unknowable, so why bother? Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at. I just sort of feel like I don't think anybody's really in the sky looking and keeping track of, yeah. of whether you're doing good or bad. And you No, know, I don't believe that. Yeah. I, I was like, my mom raised me with a much more unconventional definition of God, which is just like... 
Oh, God, I'm going to sound like such a chump. But just sort of that like <laughs> – No, you're not. Like God, really. That like God is everywhere. God is not, God was never a man in the sky yeah. in, in my upbringing. Um, but that like God is nature or like yeah. we find moments of enlightenment that can feel godlike in ourselves or in our lives or in our communities. And that that definition of God is one that yeah. I'm, is much more digestible. Oh, yeah. Me. I think – I mean there's obviously something magical going on. Yeah. Um, but I just don't – A, I don't – it doesn't – I don't uh, interface with it. Right. You know, I don't feel like – I don't feel I, I feel like there's a lot of chaos and it's a lot of beautiful chaos. And the fact that, you know, given the, you know, like the notion of, and I can't I remember from a science class, you know, the the conditions that existed on the early formation of the earth, you know, oxygen ends up, you know, you electrify the assert whatever, you know, whatever elements were floating around, mm -hmm. you electrify, you know, they cause electrical storms, you electrify them oxygen gets made mm. and then eventually carbon gets made and then it all just you know like life is an inevitability totally and there's some magic in that but i don't know how i'm supposed to do anything with that other than be nice to people right you know i think that is sort of part of it yeah. i guess that's like one of the the, the better functions of religion is like an idea of a, a karmic balance yeah um and also like some idea that there's a, a higher power, which I do believe, that, like there are too many cosmic coincidences yeah. for there not to be some sort of, I'm a little woo-woo, but you know, I do think that. Um, yeah. And, and um, I mean, Instagram is, is my God. <laughs> if you would, and there are lots of I don't think God is a man in the sky, but it is, yeah. it is on my phone. You're, you're, you have a hashtag religion. <laughs> Just that there are hashtags that occur. <laughs> Over and over and Isn't over. Isn't that crazy? That's cosmic. That's, that's absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hi, I'm John Lovett, host of Love It or Leave It. Every week, I'm joined live on stage by incredible guests to break down the biggest and dumbest stories in politics and pop culture. And now, because there's too much news for just one show, join me and my friends, also known as beloved producers who have to be there, every Tuesday for a rundown of the latest headlines to help get you through another flawless week in our perfect society. Listen to episodes of Love It or Leave It wherever you get your podcasts, or catch the funniest moments on the Love It or Leave It YouTube channel. I'm Phoebe Judge, host of the podcast, This Is Love. Stories about love and all of the surprising forms it can take. Like a man who finds a baby on a subway platform. A woman who spends most of her time alone until a fox starts coming around. And in one of my favorite episodes, we meet a man who forgot his wife and had to get to know her and fall in love all over again. Listen to new episodes of This Is Love wherever you get your podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a crow? You, you, you touched on it in that you have been writing and directing your own stuff mm -hmm. for a, a while now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm interested, is that something you always intended to do? Like when you set out to be an actress, did you also say, and I'm also going to write and I'm also going to direct? Yeah. You did? Well, not direct, but I knew yeah. that I wanted to write. I had been writing like my whole life and I, and I loved writing prose and poetry. Um, but I... And ad then, slogans. That was what I... Just <laughs> really? All, ad copy. That's just amazing. like from a little kid. <laughs> I have all these crayon, like, you know, like Mass and Gill ads and stuff. Yeah. It, we all find our way into it in we different do, ways. We do, yeah. Um, that's my muse. 
<laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> yep, yep. Capitalism is yep. your muse. Sales, it's all baby. of our muse. Um, yeah, I. Uh, so I knew that I wanted to write, and then I wrote something in um, in college. I I was in a sketch comedy uh, class, and I wrote. I started to write my own sketches in that class, and um, David Mamet came. Like when David Mamet would come to. He'd like drop in because he was never there. But when he would drop in, everyone would just leave, like stop what they were doing and go put up some scene in front of him. And he oh, was. Oh, so this was, was he like, is he still do this at NYU? Is he sort of like. I think he still drops in. It's like, it's like a department. It's like the Tisch School of the Arts within under. Yeah, NYU, like they have different like, conservatory I see. schools. So there's like the Atlantic Theater Company, which is uh, he founded with William H. Macy. Uh-huh. And then there's like the Experimental Theater Wing. There's Meisner. There's Stella Adler. So he would, he wasn't, he was a figurehead, but I he see. would drop in and I put up a sketch and um, he was notoriously like cruel. Yeah. And so he'd make people sit. They were all putting up, you know, scenes from famous plays. Yeah. Um, and I put up my sketch and he let me get through it and he said, you should write a movie. A- and that was like, yeah. It's, sometimes it's just like those one, like you just need sure. to hear it once. Yeah. Um, and at 19 or 20 to have, that, yeah, especially like such a prickly pair as oh, yeah. David Mamet to say something nice. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it. I, <laughs> no, mean, I mean it too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because he's like, yeah, he's notoriously yeah. crotchety, yeah. but obviously talented and, mm-hmm. and obviously has written some wonderful things. Yeah. So yeah, to have him go, yeah, you should be a writer. That's, you know. That's got to be really powerful. It was it was powerful. And I did. And then I wrote like a. Um, did everyone hate you? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not the students, the teachers. Oh, wow. I had one teacher that hated me for that. And he was my sketch comedy teacher. And he actually like almost failed me. Like it was so intense wow. that year because I think that, yeah, his God. Yeah. His mammoth God had. um had taken another, wow. <laughs> I don't oh know, um, muse or something. But um, but yeah, so then I started to write um, once I graduated. I wrote my own, started to write my own material. and But directing took longer. And I think that is because I always felt as a writer, like I understood my voice, but I felt under-trained as a director. And I think especially for women like that is... Uh, a world that feels intimidating yeah. um, that will be questioned in a different way about yeah. our expertise. And so I, I waited a really long time. And then, um, again, just one person was like, why aren't you directing? Because I was working with my ex-husband at the time. Uh, we made a lot of films together that we were co-writing and he was directing. And mm. then this this woman uh, producer who I really respected was like, but why aren't you directing? And it just took that question. I was like, why am I not directing? And so then I directed, I wrote and directed my first uh, film called Band-Aid. And that sort of set me on the path of, but but I still, you know, it is still a real learning curve. And yeah. I think that is such an important thing to um, accept as an artist is that like, you're never going to know anything. So you should just try. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know? right. Um, and that we all are learning so much on yeah. the job. And even the greatest auteurs are like still figuring things out. Right. I, you know, I was in some shows with my ex-wife and stuff too, but I always have been leery of working with my domestic partner. Rightfully so. And, and how did that evolve? We both have 
ex-wives and husbands. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. I love him. Yeah. We're, we're still very close. Yeah. Um, but I mean, was that when it started? Was did you have any trepidation about like yeah. spending all day working with someone and then going home and and the fear that everything at home would all be work? Uh, yes. And vice versa. Yes, and it was. I yeah. mean. Especially in 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 the world of like guerrilla indie filmmaking, which yeah. is what we were doing, like yeah. it's just nonstop. There's no way to not be working sure. when you get home because it, it's just a million. The just the producerial aspects of it are so intensive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was definitely challenging, and we were writing highly like personal work. Our first film was called Breaking Upwards, and it was the story of our open relationship, and we were playing ourselves in it. So it was, like, totally psychotic. You, oh, so you were playing Zoe? and <laughs> Yeah, and he was Daryl. Wow. Uh, but we were, we cast all these that people around us. What were you kids thinking? Oh, uh, it was nuts. And yeah. we made it for 15 grand. Wow. And, um, and like, had a crew of three. And, and then it opened so many doors for us um, as filmmakers. But it was definitely, yeah, it was definitely challenging. We tried to, like, set, like, a... 10 p.m. rule or something to stop talking about work when we yeah, got home. Yeah. But there's something amazing about working with a partner, like right. because then you're sharing a language and you're share you're sort of birthing. I mean, I don't have children, but I feel that all of our films were sort of our children. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's so challenging. Yeah. And then challenging to individuate as an artist, also, which I I had to do. I, yeah, I can imagine, and and I also too imagine. To, to do a film about your open relationship, that's like open <laughs> twice. Like you're opening up twice, you know? So, I mean, was it hard at the time to not just get where any press that you do was just yeah. like so? It was all that. And yeah. we became sort of like the non-monogamous. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it was like the now. Indie swingers. I, I, we were the indie swingers. We, yeah, like now, like polyamory. And all the kids are doing it, you know. But we we were uh, just the energy. <laughs> it's like I, it's like my old joke is like I only want to disappoint one person at a time. Yeah, you know? yeah it's yeah, yeah, it's exhausting. Uh, but um, are you still an advocate for polyamory? You know, I mean, listen, I support my polyamorous. <laughs> friends and Brethren community and sisters um sister but but i do but i i think for me i'm not sure that yeah. i want to do that again yeah. it, it is i think it really depends on like I, i've seen it work yeah i've seen it uh, work ish yeah the, the real question like when it comes to monogamy and non-monogamy is like Monogamy is also difficult, right? Yeah. So you're sort of weighing which one is more difficult. And monogamy is the one that is more socially acceptable. Um, and there's also the like the taboo of being non-monogamous that you're dealing with, mm -hmm. which is exciting. And also you can't really share. Like I it feels a little bit isolated mm -hmm. um, because married friends are like, please don't talk about that in front of <laughs> in front of me and my husband. Um, <laughs> he wants to fuck our nanny. Yeah. Um, but uh, well, you said yes to that hot nanny. <laughs> but I I made this show called Slip that that's coming out soon, and it was in some ways like an attempt to unpack some of my experience in in polyamory because mm -hmm. it, it's a, about a woman who is um 
basically fucking her way through the multiverse, but she's <laughs> <laughs> and and sort of landing in all of her through orgasm, landing in all of her parallel lives and relationships. So she gets to see. Um, That's a callback of- <laughs> from the. the- Orgasm power. I know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I think that's the the title of this right, right, episode right. is orgasm power. Yes, the power of the <laughs> uh, you know, the frankly uh, mythical female orgasm. Yeah, yeah, am yeah. I right, fellas? I mean, let's get real. Oh um, man! <laughs> oh god! Well, I saw the pilot of it. Well, you kind of you know you said that the multiverse because I'm watching a very compelling. Very compelling show about kind of relationship ennui mm-hmm. and, you know, and kind of something that almost any married person can relate yeah. to of kind of like you love the person, you're paired with the person, but, you, you know. You're restless. Yeah. And, yeah. and just kind of the, the you know, some days you really feel like every hour is 60 <laughs> fucking minutes, you know. Yeah. And it can really feel that. And. And it's a very compelling, you know, just just kind of in that, you know, difficult kind of, you know, marriage gone stale story. Mm-hmm. And then the ending hits and I'm like, what? <laughs> what? There's a, this kind of, you know, this kind of surprise twist ending. And I'm like, they, they, first of all, I want to congratulate you on there's an excellent way to make somebody come back. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Because Thanks. I definitely felt like because I only had access to the pilot. And I was oh, like, I gotta send you the whole I show. Was like, I was like, well, shit, now I wanna, you know, <laughs> you know. Oh, and also, too, I also, now that you tell me this, it's like, <laughs> I mean, th- th- just the genius of like, you're writing, you wrote a show about, you know, about all the big changes that you having orgasms <laughs> brings you. Good <laughs> Lord. I That's know. an HR problem, if you ask me. <laughs> I know. See, well, the gist uh, is I come a lot. <laughs> what do you think? Are you on board? Well, it Here's is your about check, it. madam. <laughs> I wrote it all in quarantine, um, the whole season, which also was like, we were all so restless in yeah. general. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was like, I wanted to write something that was like fantastical yeah. and, and an escape. And also that feeling like of those what ifs that, kind of plague us all of right. that I think really came into hyperfocus in quarantine where we were like, but what about my high school boyfriend? <laughs> like, <laughs> should I have been stuck with stuck him? With him? Like we were all so nostalgic and sort of like diving into our past yeah. and being like, hey, uh, sixth grade teacher, do you want to get on a Zoom? Uh-huh. You know, or whatever. And um, so I think this was also that sort of grappling with those what ifs that we all are are dealing with, whether in quarantine or sort of now, yeah. whatever stage of life we're in. Um, but but the, yeah, this I mean, the sexual component was important to me because I do think that women's sexuality on screen is obviously mired in a pretty problematic history and mostly sure. been directed by men yeah. uh, and written by men. And, and, um, and so it was exciting for me to try to push those boundaries as a writer and director, but also I'm I'm the naked body on screen. Yeah, yeah. So I I had a lot of agency over the storytelling when it came to to that sort of sexual awakening and and the transporting power of of female pleasure, which we get to sort of rarely see. Yeah. There's always a 
punishing element to <laughs> women's sexual pleasure right, on right, screen. Right. They tend to die. Yeah, or, they you get, know? yeah. right um, after the orgasm, they get a heart uh, arrow yeah, to the chest yeah. or something. You know? uh, or we just don't get to see it, you know, yeah. or it's like, yeah, that there's there's so much objectification of women on screen, and yet there's still this sort of puritanical idea around women's right. pleasure. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, they, you, they, you want to, like, they got to be sexy, but if they're horny, ew. It's ridiculous. Yeah, sexy virgins. Yeah, yeah. Which is what we all are. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I mean, you, you, is there, is there unchecked off things on your list of mm. uh, stuff to do? I mean, what, what, what do you think the future holds for mm. you? That's a good question, Andy. Why? Well, that's it's <laughs> one of the three. Um, this was a big one. Like Slip was was a big bucket list. Thing. In what sense? A, to, a series to create my own series yeah. that I would direct and star, and that's been like my whole yeah, like yeah. for for my entire adult life. Yeah. Um. So that that I think yeah I think I can retire. And I'm planning. I'm planning. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it, see that for me? That was when you were talking about like doing stuff in COVID and how you started started to walk down memory lane yeah. and had all this time to think about stuff. I feel like we all got retired. Like we all got a taste yeah. of retirement, and so you you know, and we kind of reflect. It. Yes. I'm still lazy. You know, I still have my COVID laziness. Uh, I think about we all me. do. Yeah. I mean, we also all have long COVID, so we're we're actually <laughs> ill. We're, <laughs> uh, well, we're, we're slowly I think, dying. I think we also got like COVID was a taste of uh, Northern European style uh, social democracy. <laughs> totally. It's like, you know, you don't have to work like a slave. Totally. In order to, you know, in order to just make rent. I mean, you know, it was a huge struggle for a lot of people. And yeah. I'm saying this from the incredibly privileged position of having work yes. while I'm in the middle of this. So, you know, I don't mean everybody. Yeah. Because uh, I know it was an awful, awful time for a lot of people. Yes. Um, and all of those but workers yeah, on the but, I mean, lines, but for us lucky ones that, uh, you know, still kind of either could work from home or, you know, yeah. or doing other things. It was like, this is not so bad. This I is know. not so bad, you know. I do think it forced so many people to slow down yeah. in a way that, uh, I, yeah, I'm having a hard time spe- speeding back up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I, yeah, but I, 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 I did use COVID uh, to to make a lot of work. I think I didn't know what else to do yeah. in that time because I was losing my mind. Um, so, so that yeah, this this is a nice like memory of that time in what, some ways. Do you have any like sort of long-term plans or are you just kind of like looking to see if slip goes and see other jobs? Do you have like a, a 10 year plan? Like what do you see in 10 years, 20 Should years? Should we figure it out now? Yeah. What, all do, right. you see in, what do you see in my next 10 to 20 years? Uh, I'm thinking Christmas tree farm. <laughs> that's interesting as a, as a Jew. I do like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah. sort of, yeah, it's Absolutely. unexpected. And you push the Jew thing. <laughs> That's, I think, I think. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, Yeah, I'm excited about season two. I hope we get to make a season two because I've, this has been such a dream as an artist. Um, I have a movie that I uh, am now sort of in the incubation process of Mm -hmm. that I think I'll write soon. Uh, I also dig acting in other people's things. Yeah. Heck of a lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) It sure is. So I am available. It sure is. Um, the phone rings. 
They give you money and then you say words <laughs> someone else comes up with. Yeah. Man, it's a sweet deal. A sweet gig. Yeah. Yeah. You get to like just be in the thick of some drama in a yeah. hair and makeup trailer. And, <laughs> um, but, see, but yeah. And I'm also, I, I did, I'm writing like a, some sort of book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't that, we that all? I only want to be listened to. I, I don't want it to be read. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I want no. you to read read it. Will, will you be the okay? I'll read it. I will read it. It's on, my memoir. <laughs> in in uh, I'll read it in on the page even. Oh yeah yeah. No, but I want you to read it aloud. I want you to be oh the, read it and be oh be the what's uh, that called? Yeah yeah the 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 the, the announce the vo. I, don't I want know. you to be the audible the narrator. The, yeah yeah yeah. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, oh, that'd be awesome. I think that would be good. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, uh, I, I'm, I'm in the same thing, like kind of working on a sort of a book and I just, and it's, it's so funny. Like, it's like, I don't have, it's again, it's like, I don't have patience to read books, but I guess, all right, I'll write one. <laughs> I mean, if, if somebody's going to let me, okay, I'll write one. And are you having fun writing it? I'm having fun in the sense that I thought I can't do that. Yeah. And not. Not just, I, I, I mean, not like that I'm dumb or that I don't, you know, uh, and I do, and I've written, you know, I've been paid to write. So I know yeah. I'm a writer, um, but I just didn't seem like I could have that kind of follow through. Yeah. I, and especially. It's a big I, commitment. And I think, too, I've gotten so used to, you know, the last 11, 12 years of my life was on a show where we did bits. So my uh, my brain is still kind of in Short bit form. mode. Yeah, yeah. If something goes, and I mean, I look at our old bits, and I'm like, Jesus, this thing's going on forever, and it's like three and a half <laughs> minutes, you know. Oh, so God. everything's so compact for me that the notion that I could do this, and then as I kind of sit down and flesh it out, and 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 put the ideas on paper, I'm like, I can see you know, the skeleton forming mm -hmm. and I can see where the muscles will be. And, and that is exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. And it is, and it is it for me too, as someone who just kind of felt like I couldn't pull that off to think like, no, I can pull that off is cool. yeah. And it goes, it goes like one of my, and I've talked about it on here before. One of my great motivator motivators is well, if that fucking guy can do it, I can do it. And I'm, and so it's like, totally. I'm, I've done enough now that I can go into that mode and I can, you know, I can go like, oh my God, that book, I can I could do that, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And if Meryl Streep can read a book on tape, you certainly can read Precisely. my book on tape. Precisely. That hack. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, look out, Peter Coyote. Here I come. <laughs> um, well, um, what have you learned? Today? No. Oh. Not today. Well, I mean, <laughs> sure, later you can tell me that. No, but I mean, what do you what do you want people to take away from your story? What do you think? Mm. What do you think is the biggest life lesson you've learned? I guess to kind of what you were just talking about, like that the beauty of life is um leaning into the fear. Yeah. And as I, I've been a very I was a very fearful child. Mm. So I'm surprised that I chose the life I did, yeah, um, to it's do all weird these how scary this things. Is full of shy people, yeah, I know. Yeah. But, but I think like every time I do something that is really expansive for me as a human or as an artist or both, it's because I 
identified the thing that scared me and I went towards it. Mm. And um, so I guess that's like the biggest lesson that every time I do that, I'm rewarded. Has there been times when you've headed towards something that you fear and you realize, oh, I fear that thing for a good reason and I should not have gone towards (laughs) it? I mean, I don't mean like a bear, sure, or a snake, but. No. No? I don't think so. I, I think like. You know, I'm, these are fears of, like, directing for the first time mm-hmm. or or even just this show of, like, can I direct every episode of a season of television while writing and acting? Like, that's an insane yeah. thing to do and scared the shit out of me and I didn't know if I could do it. And yeah. So I think all whenever you're like, can I do it? Kind of like what you were saying with your book. And then you find the space within yourself where you can, yeah. even if you're not doing it perfectly, which you never will. Right. But to see that in yourself is such an important um, tool for growth, I think. Yeah. And it's also, it's, it removes the notion that like you have to be jaw droppingly good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, No, we're all mediocre. Yeah. You can just get, no, you're making it. You're making the thing that you thought you couldn't make. And, you know, and it's pretty good. You know, you yeah. don't make stuff because, and you think like, oh, that's garbage. You make stuff and you think that's, oh, that was pretty good. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, my problem whenever I've written things or, or had scripts is that I end up falling in love with them. Like yeah. you can't. Yeah. You can't devote yourself to an idea, whether it's a silly sitcom or like a sketch comedy show. And then you, and I try not to, cause I, you know, I just know that like the Someone's mortality gonna, rate yeah. of, of projects <laughs> is so high. It. But it's like I just now I realize I can't I can't not fall in love with this creation of mine. And and it, the love is intoxicated. Yeah. Like that's why you do it yeah. is to fall in love with the process of and making I, it. And you get d- disappointed when in failure that like, oh, I already saw this thing. Like I saw it in my head and I, yeah. I saw like how funny that scene would be. And I had this person in mind for that. And. Oh, no one's going to get, like, I got to see it, kind of. Yeah. And no one else is going to now, you know? That's devastating. I will say another lesson, though, is, like, none of these projects that I've mentioned have been, like, Roku gave the green light, but, like, there were many no's before Roku. And um, Band-Aid, my first film, nobody wanted to make it. Yeah. And I went, that's why we made it for zero dollars. Breaking Upwards, nobody wanted to make it. We made it for zero dollars. So... That's another thing is like that there is a world in which a level of belief or I guess operating from the place of love that you have for your work and allowing that to drive you to actually make it come hell or high water is a really empowering thing. And especially with technology, like it is a possibility. You can make things for nothing, you know, for very little, especially if you have talented friends in your corner. And a cell phone. And it's literally a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do think that's like, whenever I talk to young artists or filmmakers, I'm like, just go make shit. Yeah. Because to be, sort of penned in by this fear of like, yeah, but it's not good enough or nobody's going to make it. Or if I get a no, it means I shouldn't keep going. Like this whole business is just all no's. Right, right. Uh, Yeah, gatekeepers. So many gatekeepers. And so you have to really love the thing and believe in it and know that you can actually um, 
push through, push past the gatekeepers. Yeah. Which they don't want you to know. I know they don't want but you to. But you can. Right, you can. <laughs> well, Zoe, thank you so much uh, for coming in. This is a great conversation. This a lot is of fun. so fun. Thank you for I mean, I really me. had nothing else to do today. So <laughs> this really filled it up. I just, you know. When the bar is low, I can really impress. I just, yeah. I, 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 there's only so fast that paint can peel um, <laughs> that I'm watching. But thank you so much. Thank and you. And good luck. Everybody check out the show, uh, the uh, 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 Slip. <laughs> I was like, wait, what, what's it called? That was convincing, Andy. Um, everyone watch the show Slip. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's available. It's on. Now, if you don't have a Roku, you can you can get it through other, you know. Yeah, it's available. Amazonies on, and yes, all of that. Yes, on April 21st, you can, if you have a, a Samsung TV or an Amazon Fire Stick, you can download the app. Um, or many people now have Roku's in like 70 million homes, which is so wild to me. Yeah. Um, Mostly against people's will from what I hear. <laughs> Uh, but you can also watch it on the Roku channel.com. Okay, great. Uh, well, check it out. It's really, it, I, I saw one episode and I can't wait to see more. And I can't wait for all of you to come back and listen to more of this, uh, the three questions. So thank you. And we'll see you next week. The three questions with Andy Richter is a team Coco production. It is produced by Sean Doherty and engineered by Rob Schulte. Additional engineering support by Eduardo Perez and Joanna Samuel. Executive produced by Joanna Salataroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Maddie Ogden. Research by Alyssa Grawl. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to The Three Questions with Andy Richter wherever you get your podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a-growing? Can't you feel it in the showing? This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.